20 seconds to neutral zone, sir. It's a beige alert. Entering neutral zone, Captain. What makes a man turn neutral? I have no strong feelings one way or the other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Neutropolitics Podcast, a roundtable discussion where the moderators of the Neutropolitics subreddit talk about political issues, policy, the tone of political debate, and ways we can all be a little more neutral. My name is Cass Back, and I will be hosting today's episode. With me today, we have Nosecone, Alero, uh, and lastly, we have a new addition to the mod team, uh, Hallie Duty. Since this is our very first podcast, I'm going to take some time to talk a bit about the format before we get started. First, I'm going to ask some prompting questions to get the discussion started, and each of us will have a chance to respond to the question and to other people's responses. Once we are all done, a link in to the show will be posted on our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash neutral politics, for those of you who don't know. Uh, where people will have an opportunity to comment on our discussions, ask questions, disagree or agree with us, and generally just respond to the podcast. Today's topic is one that I think is near and dear to everybody's hearts, and that is the concept of neutrality itself. As the moderators of a subreddit called Neutral Politics, I have a sneaking suspicion that all of us have spent some time thinking about it, uh, thinking about what it means to be neutral and what a neutral approach to political discussion is and why it's preferable to the kinds of discussions you might find on other places on the internet or in real life. Um, so I guess I will just come right out and ask, what do you think it means to approach politics from a neutral perspective? Does it mean just not having any biases or is it something else entirely? Uh, Nose, how about I direct this first question to you? Okay. Um, I actually don't think it means not having any biases at all. I think that's a, an unachievable goal. I think all of us actually have biases, and part of approaching any topic neutrally is recognizing that you have them. Because um, if you don't, then you're going to be subject to those biases without ever implementing any sort of countermeasures. Um, so when I think about neutral politics, I think about how my biases are coming into play, what my biases might be, and I try to look at the evidence from everyone's side, not just my own, from other people's side. Matter of fact, I frequently find myself on the subreddit uh, making points for a side that I don't agree with, just because I feel like the discussion is tending or trending towards a certain a certain perspective that might be my perspective, but I don't feel like it's balanced. Um, and I like the discussion to be at least uh, at least a little bit balanced. Well, I'm going to have to agree with Nosecone there. Uh, anybody has taken in any sort of psychological uh, class or training in the past knows that there is a huge array of literature establishing some very deeply ingrained, really hardwired biases in the human brain that's, uh, as Noah Cohn said, just simply cannot be overcome. You have things like anchoring, which is the tendency to uh, 
rely on older information or evidence over new uh, evidence. You have biased blind spots where people just naturally, inherently see themselves as less biased than other people. You have issues like the mere exposure effect, where people will like or view things more positively simply because they are more familiar or have been exposed to it in the past. Um, so the critical thing is, is um, to educate people, make sure that you understand yourself and that others are aware of these biases. And that's more importantly even is uh, you have to have humility. You can't think that uh, you can sort of uh, transcend these biases. You have to recognize that you might be wrong, that these biases might be influencing you in a negative way, as Nosecone uh, discussed. Um, so, yes? So what would the... So what do you guys think the, the tipping point factor is? When someone presents you with an argument, what do you look for from a neutral perspective to try and what makes up your mind, essentially? What are you looking for to say, convince me? Okay, so I guess for me, the really most important thing is like, can someone, can someone control their emotions? Um, when you see them presenting an argument on, on whatever they're talking about, it's like, are they, do you feel like they're putting the logic and evidence through their head? Or are they coming from a place of passion? And um, when it comes to your own biases too, it's when you bring your own biases up in an argument, can you recognize your biases and then compare them to whatever logic is being presented in front of you? So if someone is trying to convince me of something, which I think is one of the hardest things to do for humans to do is convince people of other things, is that are they doing it based upon a logical order or are they specifically using little tricks and bringing their emotion into it. Uh, that's my, that's how I look at an argument when it's presented to me. I actually think that, um, that that's not only is that right on, but sometimes you can ask people, you know, uh, one of the things that I'll do is I'll just ask them what, what caused you to come to that conclusion? What, what, brought you to that opinion so i can sort of see and they'll, they'll frequently people will tell you oh well i i read this or i saw this and then sometimes they'll say i don't know i just feel that way so do you on the internet and on reddit and on some places on the internet there is this tendency to almost fetishize logic there's a, a tendency to fetishize oh i came about this conclusion logically do you think that that so why do you guys think that logic or is or evidence based is one of the best ways to go about this? Like you, uh, Alero mentioned that he at, he wants he's looking for people who are coming from a place of logic and a place of evidence. But is that really the place to come from? Aren't there, are there some issues where um, emotions might actually be a more preferable place to come from from this? Uh, if I could take this question, Cass. Go ahead. Um, so I think there's two points to this argument, and that uh, logic and evidence are certainly a very important part when discussing politics or any sort of a uh, debate overall. And people really like it because at the very base, when you go down to mathematical uh, logical rules, which is what, what a lot of these people try to imitate online, uh, is that these are mathematical truths. Uh, if anybody's taking an introductory uh, logic class or anything like that, they'll recognize that. The idea is that given this assumption and these sort of relations, we can prove mathematically that such and such is true. Uh, the problem with such a system, the one that people consistently fail to recognize, is that all logical systems like this um, have to rely on some basic, uh, almost axiomatic assumptions. That's 
let's say you can look at something like science in general, where we use experimentation uh, to um, prove hypotheses and so on. Um, at the very base of most sciences is the axiomatic assumption that what we perceive with our senses, what we perceive in nature, what we perceive in our experiments, is accurate, can be trusted to form hypotheses, theories, and so on. And uh, of course, this goes into a whole other discussion of ideology, where our assumptions come from, and so on. But whenever you're talking about logic, just keep in mind that at the basis, at the base of any logical assumptions or proofs, there have to be some axioms that you just take for granted. And what happens when axioms are at odds with each other? Well, in that case, if uh, you can have two different people uh, that start with different axioms, and they can use the rules of logic and scientific theory and the scientific method perfectly accurately, not making any fallacies or any mistakes within the, uh, within the scientific method, and still arrive at completely different conclusions. And of course, the problem here is both sides uh, believe they have hard evidence that they're right. And so it's very hard to convince for one side to convince the other that they're wrong. I guess uh, for me to kind of expand on that, I like to think I'm a robot, beep boop. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the real issue is that I guess humans are very, uh, we're, compared to computers, we're a lot more emotional. And I think it's actually pretty bad to be extremely logical as well. I mean, if you're taking 10 minutes to decide which color pen you want to write someone's phone number down in, um, that in itself is, is its own issue. And so I think it's really important finding that balance of logic and emotion. I think there is um, a good point. If you have personal experiences with an issue and you can sort of bring a little bit of that passion to make uh, your reality that you live in a little uh, uh, more um, real for other people, just making making sure that you're using the emotion in a way that says, hey, I'm here to use this emotion to paint a picture for you to make it easier for you to see why uh, my perspective might be a, um, something you should uh, look at and, and understand. So I think there is merit to both. Yeah, I think it's important, especially when it comes to political issues, to um, because emotions can play an important role, right? When, for rem I think, for reminding people about the very human effect that some of these political decisions can have, when if you distance yourself totally and you're just looking at a spreadsheet of numbers and you have to make the decision, all right, do I move funding from this particular department to this particular department? We've got budget cuts coming up. It's sometimes, sometimes that human connection, that emotional connection is necessary to keep in check the, you know, the decision. Like, oh, I'll cut spending for health care because we need more money for infrastructure or, you know, cutting spending from this department or for this department, it can be very easy to make such calls without that um, sort of emotional connection to your fellow man. But I think it's a very important part of political discourse is remember that there are real people who are being affected by these issues. So when it comes to the interplay between logic and emotion, I think that's where emotion really needs to be important, especially with on, on political issues especially. There are some uh, interesting studies about how uh, the concept you just talked about, about how people being affected, um, which people those are matters. Uh, and so, so if you talk to people about policy decisions and the people who are affected are 
well, obviously them, but their neighbors, people in their community, uh, people in their state, they have a different perception of the value of those policy proposals than if the people are farther away, if they're culturally different, if they speak a different language, if they look different. Um, and that's one of the that's one of these places where the intersection of bias and logic um, is is revealing. Interesting. So, do people are people more in favor of? I, I mean, I, mean, I guess where where does the bias come into play here? Like, are people more biased towards things that are happening closer, or what's the deal there? Yeah, there there's a tribal instinct. People uh, aim to protect or gain advantage for themselves and people who are closer to them. Interesting. Are you referencing Maslow's hierarchy of needs in politics? I, I wasn't actually, but I have read that many, many eons ago. <laughs> so, okay, so that's that's an interesting bias we have. Is that? And do you think that is a good thing, though? I mean, I mean, I can imagine if you're a local representative representing your your district or your your county, how it can be important to keep that in mind when you're making decisions. Like, I mean, like that's your representative, that's that county's representative. You want them to speak for your interests, right? I mean, I feel like that might be a good thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not making a, a value judgment on it, whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying that it exists, and it's, it's an emotional, well, maybe it's not 100% emotional. Maybe there's a logic to it also. Um, but uh, it exists, and I feel like it's a, it's a place where there's an interplay between the logic and the emotion. So, moving the sub the topic back a little bit towards uh, neutrality, we, when you are approached with an idea that conflicts with a idea that you currently have in your brain, how how much evidence or how much logic is needed to convince you that the position you hold is wrong? In your experience, I'll throw this one at Holly Duty. All right, to uh, what do I need to convince me of an alternative position? Um, that's a fairly difficult question, really. Um, I'll have to admit that personally, I've gone through a lot of ideological swings throughout my lifetime. And a lot of it, uh, what you see is that there isn't really one piece of evidence or one uh, incident that convinces you to, uh, I suppose, switch ideologies or switch positions on an issue. And now what it really is, is a culmination of a long time and a large quantity of evidence and even personal experience. And I think that last part is especially critical in that um, evidence can often be very uh, distant from your own mind, from your own experience. And they can hear some numbers or hear about uh, what some other person experienced or did or whatever. But uh, what, what it really comes down to is, uh, is this evidence that's being presented to me or is this viewpoint that's being presented to me consistent uh, with my own personal experience? And a lot of that comes down to how you choose to interpret your own personal experience. Um, and at that point, you have to take into account your biases and look at your past and say, all right, uh, such and such a thing happened to me. This is what I've dealt with in my past. Um, what does this suggest? What, does, what, um, what sort of evidence is this? And how does it um, connect with the other evidence or viewpoints I've uh, been presented with? Um, this may be a bit of a personal question, but do you, can you th give an example of a time when this has happened, when you're like, oh, this my mind has been changed by this argument or my mind has been changed by this presentation. Can you think of an example off the top of your head? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I know uh, I feel a bit embarrassed looking back at it now. I know when I was uh, much younger, I was rather hardcore on the uh, libertarian front. Um, and what really started to change my mind about it is a number of things. First of all, um, as I've become an economics student, I've been exposed to a wider range of theories. And there was no one incident, no one class that convinced me that what I think is wrong. Um, but sort of the culmination of evidence that you're exposed to uh, in academia that can uh, suggest to you that perhaps there's different ways of thinking. And the other major incident for me was when I started associating with many uh, certain communities. And you, maybe you agree with most of what they say, but there's a few things that you disagree with very strongly. And as those things become more and more prominent in your experience, you realize, hold on, not everything about this uh, certain belief system is consistent with what I believe. And that little bit of doubt can really start to expand, and then you start questioning uh, the rest of the ideology or the rest of the belief system. And from there, you start exploring alternatives. Um, well, I guess for my, my favorite thing about um, arguments is especially ones that are based in, in real life. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has seen the movie Dogma, but I really like the idea at, at the end, um, Chris Rock starts to talk about the idea of instead of having beliefs, have ideas and sort of make them free-forming and do things not necessarily from what people tell you, but what you, what you see around you. So you're always able to sort of gain a new perspective every time you look at an issue. And so I think it's it's really important when you're discussing something with somebody is that, yes, you may have an opinion on something, but as long as you can continually uh, be able to um, uh, talk about issues and certain things, like making sure that your perspective uh, is, is able to be changed, like I think that's important, is as long as you're willing to see the world around you for what it is, that's really a great way to look at things. And I'd like to elaborate on that very quickly on what uh, Alero just said. Is, uh, I saw a wonderful quote online recently that said that uh, when you have a belief or assumption that's being challenged, you have two paths you can take. You can think, um, is my assumption wrong? Or alternatively, you can think, you can rationalize and say, what do I need to believe to dismiss this challenge? And what you see a lot, especially with a very, I suppose, biased or uh, very confident individuals are very confident in their beliefs is that they'll almost universally try to rationalize and find ways to ignore the evidence that's being presented to them. And to me, that's a very big red flag that this person um, is not a neutral person at all. Yeah. Speaking for me personally, um, I think that is neutral. Bringing it back to what Noscon said, it's not neutrality doesn't simply mean being neutral. It's being able to change your position as if you were neutral. It means that you don't carry around your ideas and your positions inside of your head connected to your person. You don't look for excuses or uh, what do I need to believe in order to dismiss this, this idea. You carry around your ideas and your positions in a little imaginary bag at your hip where you can toss them, you can toss them away or add new ones as new evidence is presented. It's all about, it's all about creating a headspace where you can almost pretend you're neutral, from my perspective. And evidence, is, and evidence and reasoning are the main deciding factors on whether you chuck or add in new ideas into your little bag at your side. So that's just speaking for me personally. 
I, I like I like that metaphor. Um, I, I'd also like to tie in a couple things that that Hal and Alero said because Alero said that um, it's good to collect uh, ideas rather than beliefs, and Hal, you were talking about ideology, and I think that there's there's a there's an interesting confluence there because there are billions of people on the planet, and we're all individuals, and we all have different histories and different experiences and different ways of looking at life. So the idea that that millions or hundreds of millions of us would all subscribe to a single ideology uh, rigidly and not not have two or three or four beliefs within that ideology that we disagree with, it's highly improbable. And so I think that when I when I speak with people or when I interact with people online who are steeped in a particular ideology, it's it's a, a little bit of a red flag because it it says to me, wait a second, you're you're an individual, but this ideology it speaks to you a hundred percent. There's not a single thing about this ideology you disagree with. That's um, that's always something that's that struck me as improbable, as I say. It sounds almost, when you think about the scale of how many ideas there are and how many people there are, it seems to be borderline impossible. I mean, just the sheer numbers of it. For a single, uh, as, much, as much as it might be nice to think that there is one universal idea, one universal truth that all, human, uh, that all humankind can just, oh, yep, we're all agreed on this now. I don't think that's even mathematically possible. But I, I think that actually is the universal truth, is that we all want to believe that. Yeah. But wanting isn't the same as being true. <laughs> right. That was a good point you did bring up, Cass. Um, I had a similar one to add in as well, is that when you consider um, how many people there are in the world, how many issues exist, how many political issues there are, and the various different views or um, perspectives on it, uh, what are the chances that any one person, such as yourself, are completely right on everything? And I think that this sort of understanding is very critical to promoting the sort of humility, this kind of understanding that you're probably wrong on at least a few things. Uh, it really helps promote an openness to other ideas. But I, I think that's a really good point, actually, Hal. I think uh, just just the idea that, you know, we, we have to sort of come from this this uh this approach that says you know we're wrong about stuff i'm i you know i'm i actually really like when in a discussion somebody proves me wrong and i'm able to change my opinion and i'm able to say wow okay yeah you've you've changed my mind i i find that reassuring it's reassuring because then i feel like i have more knowledge but it also reassures me that i i know i'm approaching the the topic from a, a point of open-mindedness. Yeah. Speaking personally, I, I am the exact opposite way. I, I despise having... I, what, what I really despise is just being wrong, period. And so I almost approach being convinced that I'm wrong with the, with the feeling of, oh, crap, oh, crap, I, I'm wrong about this issue. I really quick need to change my mind, or I, I need to really quick evaluate whether or not this is right or this is wrong. And so the feeling you describe of, oh, my mind has been changed, great, I'm so new, I'm, 
I've my, that's a that's a that's an awful feeling for me, <laughs> realizing oh crap I've been I've been looking at the world the wrong way crap crap crap. Just that's um, just me. I I'm actually gonna no this is this is gonna sound really weird but I'm gonna actually disagree with you in some case of like trying to look at yourself and be like oh I'm wrong I'm wrong or I should try and 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 be right because um I used to do a lot of Lincoln Douglas debate uh, back in high school. And it's this idea of that you can write an essay for both positions for whatever topic you're talking about, A and B, right, and and debate them both. And I guess after doing that, what I found is that trying to worry specifically about whether you're right or wrong in some cases can almost ruin trying to learn about a new perspective. Because I think it's really important to not just say, okay, this is right and this is wrong, but sort of look at a flow of information and just and sort of nitpick from that because if you're trying to look at one axiom a and axiom b in some ways that can almost stop you in some ways and keep you from really trying to find the actual evidence or maybe a blend of both sides in some cases that's a really good perspective i've never thought of it like that before so how would you put that into practice then because oftentimes oftentimes it's on the subreddit or in life in general questions are posed in this almost axiomatic way do you think x is true do you think this position is right um i guess for me i eventually i talk to enough people and i've been around so many people that have such specific viewpoints that they will not change that i just got bored of trying to convince people of things i mean i'll still give my perspective and arguments and i'll still uh, uh try my best to to uh, what I've learned to sort of give into this kind of group collective information. But it's really hard to be like, okay, I am going to try and widen this person's view because if they're not willing to do it themselves, then then what's really the point um, if, if they're just specifically talking? And so I think the most important thing to take is can you bring information and, and, and see how people are willing to analyze it rather than try to be, okay, I'm going to learn their viewpoint, and if their viewpoint is better than my viewpoint, I'm taking their viewpoint. It's how can you analyze all this information, and are you willing to change your perspective? Because if people you're talking to really aren't, it's really shallow to try and have a conversation with them on especially political issues. So. I, I, I want to tie that in a little, that concept, because I, I really, I agree with that concept, but I want to tie that in a little bit to the management of the subreddit itself, because I think a lot about the fact that when we have a thread that's popular, uh, it's got, you know, net 200 uh, upvotes or something, and there are mm, maybe mm, 100 comments, 100 people have written on it. But if you look at the stats for the, the traffic of the sub, it's likely that maybe a thousand people have actually read it. They're just not commenting. And, and that's why I think it's really important to pose these questions, even if you're not going to convince the, the poster or the, the person you're replying to or, or really anybody that you can see or that, is, that has a tangible presence in the thread. Other people are reading it. And it's great for those other people the, the the sort of the audience of the of the thread to just be able to absorb all these different perspectives and then come to their own opinion and maybe at some future point they'll participate or maybe they'll have a conversation in the real world with someone on the topic and they'll be better informed 
it's easy to lose sight of those people. But I feel like they're almost more important than the people who are writing because there's so many more of them. Mm. The silent majority? <laughs> Perhaps, yes. So we've talked a bit about what it means to be neutral. But I want to ask you guys, why do you think, um, why do you think this evidence-based approach to politics is, we, we've sort of talked about this, but why specifically, why be neutral? Why have this evidence-based approach to politics? Is it because from my perspective and from trying to convince other people to adapt it, it's rather time-consuming. It's rather difficult. It's rather imposing. Is it worth the time investment that often I find is often involved in trying to have this neutral approach? Um, I mean, you can clearly see if you're talking to somebody and they're getting very tired of talking about a political issue. Um, clearly, not everyone maybe wants to put in the effort or has the time or, or just the will. Um, I think it's a great thing to try. And if you can put yourself out there and try to look at new perspectives every day, I think that's really important. Um, you know, for me, I, I guess I, I have a master's degree in politics, so I can talk about it all day and not get tired. But somebody who doesn't have the same background as me or maybe doesn't know as much about specific uh, state representatives and government or, um, as me may not uh, have the same perspective or the same willingness to talk about things in the way I do. And, and so in, in some terms, I, I tend to respect that. It depends on how they implement it. As long as they're willing to give a good faith approach and trying to be open-minded, I think that's really the important thing for me. At the same time, uh, time is a factor in certain cases. Like if you are, if your tire is blowing on the side of the road, I mean, the quick snap decision is if you have a spare tire, put it on. If you don't, what do you do at that point? Um, so I think like it's easy to put ourselves in this bubble of this conversation uh, that we're doing, but in the real world, it's uh, especially if you have to do with politics, you have to make decisions. If you keep holding on and keep putting things off, uh, like say you're a state representative, I mean you can. There there are government shutdowns because of uh, uh, decisions not being made. So sometimes, depending on the scope of things and what you need to do, sometimes quick decisions are are important in certain cases. Alero, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was uh, this idea that some people just aren't willing to put in the time, and, you know, that makes sense. Not everybody is into politics. Um, and so uh, this evidence-based approach, uh, you know, it doesn't really speak to them. And so they'll maybe they'll take a shortcut if they have to make a decision that's political ba politically based because they don't know all the details. And there's a pretty well-known book by Hahnemann, uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, uh, which is about these two different processes that humans have. We have the quick way of making a decision, and we have the deliberative way of making a decision. And in, in areas where we have expertise, uh, it's easier to take the deliberative way and come up with the correct answer but we don't have expertise in everything and uh, in most things we don't, that we encounter we don't have expertise in so we have these sort of mental shortcuts which are very useful in a lot of 
in a lot of ways. They're based on pattern recognition. They're based on things that we've that we've experienced before, and we think, okay, this is probably the right way to go, and we just make a, a quick decision. And, but sometimes those decisions are wrong specifically because we're not looking at every angle. But what are the consequences of having, from my perspective, the majority of the population doesn't really take this, this slow, deliberative, uh, sort of neutral-based uh, outlook towards politics and policy decisions. Are there, and, and are there negative consequences to the majority of the population not taking the time? Or is that what we have our democratic process set up so that we have people who can take the time? Well, we already have evidence of some of the uh, worst effects of this issue. Um, I know that there have been studies, and we'll post this, of course, in the, uh, in the uh, Reddit thread sure. for this podcast, um, that have shown that Americans have increasingly been self-segregating um, based on where they live by political uh, beliefs, so that more and more you have concentrations of very, little, uh, very liberal or very conservative groups. And the consequence of that is you can look at uh, approval numbers that's uh, overall, everybody pretty much very strongly dislikes how Congress has been doing, how the president has been doing. But when you look at it, for example, on a, on a per-representative basis, most people, I believe it's something like in the range of 50 to 60 percent, are satisfied with their own representative. And yet, all of Congress together, you have approval rights of 10, 15 percent. And so the negative consequence would just be we're not happy with Congress then? Well, what I would say is that um, by not being open-minded and neutral, we are self-segregating, as I noted, and right. we have this very uh, divided. We're seeing, a, uh, you know, people like to talk about uh, how much more polarized we are than in the past, but there is plenty of evidence. I think I have an article I will link to in the uh, description about this as well. Um, but you do see an increasingly divided nation, and that's not good for anybody. I think there's a there's another component of that, which is that there was a time where there were people that you would see on television on Sunday morning talk shows really getting down to the heart of issues and discussing them and and now I feel like it's not just that the neighborhoods are segregated but a lot of our media is segregated also and so there are people who when you tune in to uh, or you visit a website or you tune into a certain news channel or something they're they're preaching to the choir they're talking to a specific audience, and there won't be this sort of deeper debate uh, in the public sphere, the, the broader public sphere. And I think that causes us also to, to, to be more divided. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is that the, a lack of this open-mindedness creates divisiveness because we're not being open-minded, suddenly these deep schisms are forming in our society. Would you say that's true? I, I don't think it's sudden. I, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think it's a, it's a consequence of, like, I, I think we've always not been open-minded. Uh, I, I don't think that we are, as a people, somehow more closed-minded now. But I think that our, ex our, our ability to expose ourselves to different views is diminished. And uh, especially, um, there's an ability now to feel like you're being informed or you're up on the news or you know what the latest policy is when you're really only hearing one very filtered side. 
And the rise of the internet has been especially important towards this, especially when it, when it comes to uh, certain what would be considered by most people radical movements. In the past, if you, uh, let's say, you're a young adult and you decide you maybe do some reading and you, uh, say, radicalize yourself in some way, whether you're left or right or some other direction, some uh, very radical ideology. And what used to happen is you would be surrounded by a community of relatively moderate people. And over time, those people would influence you and pressure you and in some ways, to some degree, de-radicalize you. The problem is that nowadays, um, you can go online you can, and you can find communities of people just like yourself. And that used to not be an issue. I don't want to overly romanticize the past, of course. Um, as uh, Nosecon mentioned, things weren't necessarily that much better. We weren't that much more open-minded. But the issue is uh, modern technology has made it much more possible uh, for individuals to lock themselves away in their own little ideological communities. Yeah, um, I definitely think that uh, before we had technology, people were still making these communities, but it was a lot, uh, uh, there were a lot more uh, different types of people coming into these communities. So before the internet, uh, it was really that, okay, this is the town I live in, you know, maybe 1700s, 1800s, whatever, uh, of people with a lot of different perspectives coming into a town and being like, okay, we're still going to lock ourselves in in a way but there were still a lot more ideas. Whereas if you go to a forum with XX idea, uh, you're not really getting a lot of that variety in this, this idea gene pool, I guess. So because we are so insolent, because with, with, the, with our current technological ability to just seek out people who agree with us, how can we as a society say, all right, we're going to keep, we're going to, we're, we're, we're trying to make everyone a bit more open-minded. We're trying to expose people to new ideas. Or we're trying to de-radicalize people. Is there, is there, are there steps that we can take as a society towards that goal? Or, or, as, or as individuals, too? That's a very good question. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I can't think of a solution at the top of my head. <laughs> I think that might be for the next episode. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's a question for everyone to think about, is how can we as a society start being a little more open-minded? Um, but I hope you all enjoyed listening to us uh, pontificate about neutrality and uh, why we think it's important. Feel free to leave your thoughts and questions in the Reddit thread that we'll be posting, and I hope you will all tune in next time.